You're listening to the Martin Luther Sermon Podcast, and this is Martin Luther's Sermon on Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 9, the parable of the unjust steward. Preached on the ninth Sunday after Trinity Sunday, uh, I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. For more information about the Luther Sermon Podcast, to hear more Luther sermons, or to learn about the church, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. This sermon is from Luther's House Postal, reading from a translation published by J.A. Schulze, publisher in Columbus, Ohio in 1884, a text and translation that's in the public domain. Uh, first, the Gospel reading. Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 9. And Jesus said also unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear of this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig to beg, I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do then, when I am put out of the stewardship, that they may receive me into their houses." So he called every one of his lord's debtors unto him, and said unto the first, How much owest thou unto my lord? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, and sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then said he to another, And how much owest thou? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, and write fourscore. And the lord commended the unjust steward, because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are, in their generation, wiser than the children of light. And I say unto you, Make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. Luther's Sermon Our gospel lesson treats of good works, and especially warns against avarice, teaching us not to abuse temporal goods, but to use them for the support of the poor and the needy, as the Lord plainly says at the close, Make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness. That is, help the poor with your money and goods, for the word mammon means riches. These doctrines the Lord presents in a parable, as he often uses this mode of teaching, which is the more easily understood. He tells us to imitate the example of the unjust steward, who, when he saw that he would lose his office and that he would soon be in need of help, improved the time as long as he retained his office, to make friends by releasing the debtors of his master of one-half or one-fourth of the claim against them, in order that they might think of these favors afterward and help him in return. However, the Lord does not want us to do wrong and to take the possessions of our neighbors by fraudulent means in order that we may give alms by no means. He wants us to use our temporal goods cautiously and prudently like the steward in order that we may reap the fruits of it in another and better world, and to make to ourselves friends of our mammon, as the unjust steward did with his mammon of unrighteousness. In the first place, we should learn here why the Lord calls mammon the mammon of unrighteousness. Goods wrongly obtained we should return, and not think of applying them for the good of others, or of giving them as alms to the poor. As saith the prophet Isaiah, chapter 61, verse 8, I, the Lord, love judgment. I hate robbery for burnt offering. Therefore, whoever wants to give alms or use his money in the service of God, let him use nothing but what he is entitled to call his own and what he has acquired with good conscience. Goods obtained in an illegitimate way from others, we are not to use at all but to return to the rightful owner. But how are we to understand the words of Christ 
that we should make to ourselves friends with the mammon of unrighteousness, that is, to give alms and to help the poor? Answer. The Lord does not call mammon or temporal goods unrighteous because it was acquired by unrighteous means, for such unjust gains should be returned at once, but because no one uses them righteously except true Christians who live in the fear of God and according to his commandments. All others use mammon for the purpose of living to the flesh in luxury and feasting and not to help the poor, which they could easily do. Therefore, temporal goods and riches must bear the disgraceful name mammon of unrighteousness. That God is highly displeased with such abuse, we may learn from Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Here is described to us in a few words those who enjoy peace and plenty so that they do not know what to do with it and yet will not help the poor and the needy. This is deplorable, and yet it is the practice all over the world. For this reason also our temporal goods have to bear such a disgraceful name as mammon of unrighteousness, damnable money, or stolen goods, even though it was obtained by fair means, not as though it were the nature... The nature of our earthly goods, of our money, bread, meat, fish, wine, etc., but they became unrighteous on account of the persons who abused them. Hence the gospel lesson warns especially against avarice and urges us to make a proper use of the earthly goods which God has bestowed, and thus to make ourselves friends, so that at last when we fail, that is, when we leave everything behind in death, they may receive us into everlasting habitations." For our good works, our charity towards the poor, the benefits which we confer, will not merely bear witness to our brother and Christ, uh, brotherly and Christian conduct in life, but will also be richly rewarded. One will arise and exclaim, Lord, this Christian provided me in the time of need with a garment, a piece of money, a piece of bread, a drink of water, etc. Yea, as Christ saith, Matthew 25, he himself, the Lord, will arise before his heavenly Father and all angels and saints and acknowledge the service we have rendered him, thus showing our faith. And then will th these will then be the friends to take us up into everlasting habitations when we fail and depart this life. Those who would follow these teachings and use for the help and support of the poor and needy the money and goods which God has blessed them would thereby change the unrighteous into a righteous mammon. Instead of employing it for a bad purpose, they would put it to its intended use. For it will never do for a Christian to use all his money and goods for himself, living in splendor, honor, pleasure, and pride, as is seen in the conduct of citizens and peasants, and as the proverb runs, of which such misers make use, I am supplied with grain and bread. If you wish to have some too, then see how you get it. That we would call unrighteous grain and bread and an unrighteous mammon, which they do not employ for the service and good of their neighbor, but for the sinful and wicked purpose and for their own eternal ruin. If, however, those have a mammon of unrighteousness who have nothing to spare for others, especially for the poor, what shall we say of the mammon of those who are not satisfied with their possessions, but who endeavor to increase them by stealing? This is the case with most of our mechanics, merchants, and laborers who take the advantage of one another and belie and betray each other. They do not make many friends but make enemies who will accuse them at the last day before the judgment seat of God inasmuch as here they must suffer wrong, keep silent, and even pay honors to such enemies. But at the last day, things will be different. 
There, the wronged poor will open their mouth and say, Lord, we had to endure famine, and that man had barns filled with grain and cellars filled with wine, but would not give us one particle of bread or one drop of wine except at his own exorbitant price. Or again, that man was my landlord and increased my rent from year to year. Or from that man I purchased bread, beer, meat, and fish, but I and others very seldom got full weight and measure, nor have we been treated equally." Yea, at the last day, all misers, usurers, and wicked men will be accustomed, accused severely, not only by the saints who had to suffer want, and by the Lord Jesus himself, but by all creatures which have been enjoyed by them or been in their possession, because they abused them to their own eternal misery and condemnation. How do you expect to stand before a judgment like this, ye idolaters and servants of mammon? If those are not left unpunished who do no harm to others by oppressing them or taking advantage of them, but merely do not give to the poor, what will become of those who do not only give not give anything, but thieves, robbers, misers, and usurers of the worst kind, as they are, cause suffering and oppress the poor without scruple for the sake of getting money and becoming rich? Such is the Savior's preaching against avarice or covetousness. A Christian is not allowed to open his hand to receive and to close his hand when asked to give, but he is required to give to the poor with a cheerful and willing heart. In this way, God wants us to serve him and promises also to reward such service. On the other hand, the miser and usurer who are constantly engaged in accumulating riches and giving grudgingly or not at all serve the devil, and from him they will receive their reward. Especially will all the saints arise in the last day and accuse them, saying, This peasant, citizen, merchant, nobleman, etc. did nothing but scratch and scrape and shave and slave and accumulate riches. We often stood in need of their help, but they did not assist us with a word, much less with money or goods. The Lord here vividly represents to us how the poor saints will at the last day stand before the Lord Christ and make complaint against the wealthy misers. The rich, on the other hand, who have used their riches for the good of others, will be honored and praised by many friends, yea, by the Lord Jesus himself, for the good they have done. From this we should learn to be pious, gentle, kind, beneficent, etc. Thus showing our faith and securing those whom we have benefited as witnesses at the last day. That we have abstained from the vice of craving all for ourselves and caring nothing how others may fare. Now, we read that the Lord commended the unjust steward. This must not be understood as though the Lord wanted us to wrong our fellow man. He only commends the care and prudence of the unjust steward and would have us exercise in a good cause the earnestness and diligence which he exercised in the bad cause of injuring his master and benefiting himself. For instance, when a lascivious woman dresses in great splendor in order to succeed well in her sinful and wicked career, the gold, velvet, and satin which such a woman wears are not to blame for the abuse to which she puts them. May I not in such a case commend the woman and say, Behold, this woman knows how to accomplish her ends. Why do you not use the same diligence to please your heavenly bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ? By such words I do not commend adultery, but care and diligence and prudence applied to good and honorable objects. Again, we should take to heart the words of Jesus when he saith, The children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. These words do not need much expounding. We have opportunity every day to see the children of this world sparing no labor and no pains in the pursuit of their advantage. Many are the cares and dangers to which a roving thief is exposed. He has no rest neither day nor night and is in constant danger of being hung or decapitated, and yet he likes his devilish trade and cannot persuade himself to give it up. 
A thief, a prostitute, an adulterer live a hard life, employ all kinds of frauds, spiteful tricks, and secret machinations in order to obtain their wicked objects, they find it exceedingly difficult to render the devil the service which he demands. Children of the light, on the other hand, that is, true Christians, are indolent, slothful, and careless, even with things they know to be pleasing to God and beneficial to themselves. They find it very hard to do good according to the old saying, the wicked have to work very hard to get to hell. They serve the devil more diligently by labors and sufferings than Christians serve God and strive for heaven. This saying is very true if rightly understood. God has to compel his children, as it were, to do what is right and needful. The parable of our text, therefore, is very appropriate. If we want to be Christians and do our duty, it is best not merely to study books, but everyone should look to his own house and see how bad children, wicked servants, etc., are intent upon knavery, wantonness, and other vices which please the devil. Here you will observe a continued effort to excel in wickedness of every kind. This example in wickedness we should reverse and be diligent not in wickedness but in serving the Lord according to his word and in laboring for our eternal salvation. Indeed, if a peasant, mechanic, merchant, or usurer, wife, or servant can serve the devil so pervasively without a murder or murmur or complaint, why should I not also serve with the same diligence my God whose favor I shall be permitted to enjoy forever? They, like madmen, hurry on their way to destruction. Why should I be careless and indolent in matters pertaining to my soul's salvation and wait till I am almost compelled to take an interest in heavenly things? Do I not have reason to be heartily ashamed of myself and of the exceedingly slow progress I am making toward my final and bitter ho better home whilst others rush forward in great speed on the road to destruction? In a certain sense, as the Savior here teaches, the children of this world set a good example to the children of light. Take, for instance, the miser. He has no rest neither day nor night. All his thoughts and his studies center in money. He turns every nook and corner in his house to account so as to make it pay. He tries anything and everything to secure, if possible, some profit. In short, he spares no means and no trouble to make money and to increase his possessions. We ought to learn from this example. As he labors with great zeal for temporal things, so should we labor for heavenly things. But alas, where do you find a Christian that does this? A usurer is glad when he has a chance to put out his money at high interest. Here everyone is anxious to make a good investment at 10, 20, or more percent interest. But where is the Christian who is glad of the chance to help a poor man with $10 more or less according to the need of his own ability? And yet we shall be remunerated well for helping the poor, as Solomon saith, He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given him he will pay him again. God indeed would be our safest and surest debtor if we would only lend our money to him, but the devil keeps us from believing that God will pay us interest and that will exceed the advanced principle. And it serves us right if, in our blindness, we prefer the security of man to the security of God, and if, in the end, we are the losers, losing the mammon of unrighteousness and body and soul besides. Hence the Lord Jesus very properly concludes that the children of this world are, in their generation, wiser than the children of light. The fact is that the devil always has a hundred servants where the Lord has scarcely one. What can we do to effect a change for the better? Such a change we cannot bring about because the children of this world will take no counsel. But we may teach and continue to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine that some, if possible, may be delivered from the snares of the devil. We should endeavor also to arouse sleepy Christians 
and to urge all to be more diligent in the performance of Christian duty and to persevere in well-doing as the children of this world persevere in evil-doing. In these, our efforts, we should continue because we are the children of light, no matter how difficult it is. If we are ever mindful of our name that we are children of light, though we are not as industrious and wise as the children of this world, there will be no danger. Yet we must do something and make a beginning in the work belonging to these who are called the children of light. No one ought to expect that we shall attain the proficiency of the children of this world in their generation. We ought indeed to excel them by far, because we have the promise of the crown of eternal life, but we encounter too many obstacles in our path. Nevertheless, we should endeavor in good earnest to increase from day to day in discipline, patience, meekness, gentleness, mercy, and other Christian graces. If only we are on the right road and proceed in the right direction, we will reach the end, though the progress be ever so slow. But we must carefully guard against supposing that we have already attained perfection. It is a great comfort to us to know that if we are engaged in the work of our Master at all, God will not judge us as he will judge the children of this world who pursue their downward course to hell, but he will assure us of his mercy, saying, You should have secured me with more diligence and faithfulness because you are the children of light, but you have not done it. Therefore I must cover your deficiency with the mantle called grace and forgiveness of sins. This must be spread over us like the canopy of heaven, that we may live under it. Thus we shall have friends in heaven, especially the best of all friends, our Lord Jesus Christ himself, who is able to save and bring us to heaven. This is the lesson of our gospel, that we should use the mammon of unrighteousness for the purpose of making friends, that is, of serving our fellow man, as the steward made friends with the goods of his master. But here it is generally asked how such a doctrine is harmonized with the doctrine of faith. The papists especially make a great ado about it, and contend that we must earn heaven by works, and that faith alone will not do it, because the Lord here says that the friends may receive you into everlasting habitations. The papists, however, do not deserve a lengthy answer to this and other questions. They would not accept the truth, but continue to mock and persecute. And yet, for the sake of an honest inquirer, we will here give a short answer. In the first place, the papists must admit that the friends here spoken of by Christ are people living among us. Otherwise, how could we give them anything? But how can they receive us into the everlasting habitation of heaven when they themselves are not there yet? And yet it must be true that they receive us into heaven. For here are the words of Christ, which must be true, and we have no right to doubt them. Make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. How this is done, the Savior himself teaches, Matthew 25. In the last day he will remember the good we have done here on earth, unto our brethren as done unto him, and will give us eternal life, not on account of our deeds, but because it was prepared for us from the beginning. Here the question is divided. For the true friend who receives us into heaven undoubtedly is Christ. Poor beggars, whom we here assist with a few cents, cannot do it, although they may serve us and do us some good by their prayers and supplications. The question whether we can, as it would seem, purchase heaven by almsgiving is readily answered. St. Paul saith, Romans chapter 14, Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Therefore it must follow that God hath no pleasure in the alms of the unbeliever, much less will he give heaven and eternal life on account of them. The works of those, however, who believe in Christ and show their faith by works are well-pleasing to God for the sake of their faith. Such works God will remunerate or reward in the life to come. But it by no means follows that eternal life is given on account of works. 
This is promised only to those who believe in Christ, as he himself often testifies, Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. I am the way, the truth, and the life. God gave his Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This answer is definite and thorough. Here we have the words of the Holy Apostle St. Paul, Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Therefore, if almsgiving is to please God and be a good work, there must first be faith in Christ. Faith has the promise of eternal life and receives forgiveness of sin. And it is faith that makes all our doing pleasing to God, though in themselves they are faulty and imperfect. He will graciously reward them in the life to come. This is testified to by Christ, Matthew 25, and the Apostle Paul. The sufferings and tribulations of Christians shall be rewarded in the life to come, and they shall have joy on account of them. The words of Christ, Make to yourselves friends of all the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitation, contain a promise that if we are disciples of Christ and perform good works, God will reward these works in the life to come. Good works, however, says the Apostle Paul, come from faith. And the Savior saith that it is by faith that we have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. These passages we must believe as well as the words in our text assured that they are infallibly true. But how shall we reconcile them? Only in this way, that God will grant us forgiveness of sins and eternal life through faith in Christ Jesus, but that God, on account of such faith, will be pleased with our almsgiving and other good works, and will richly repay and reward them in the life to come. Because God wants to urge us, by the hope which is laid up for us in heaven, to be more cheerful and faithful in the service of God and in doing good works, as St. Paul saith to the Colossians chapter 1. This is the true and literal meaning of the text and the right and thorough answer to the question concerning good works. May God grant us grace for Christ's sake and influence our hearts by the Holy Ghost that these beautiful promises and exhortations may become fruitful in us and that we may order our lives according to them and finally be saved. Amen. This has been Martin Luther's sermon on the Gospel reading, Luke chapter 16, verses 1 to 9, preached on the ninth Sunday after the Feast of the Holy Trinity. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church. For more information about the Luther Sermon Podcast or to listen to more Luther sermons, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. And to see some of the other stuff we got cooking, please visit the website at Wolfmuller, W-O-L-F-M-U-E-L-L-E-R dot C-O, Wolfmuller.co. Thanks. God's peace be with you.